From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up, you will not be hearing extended lectures from me because our case is based on cold, hard facts. It's all about the facts. That was House Impeachment Manager Representative Jamie Raskin at the uh, as the Senate began debate about whether or not the impeachment of former President Donald Trump is constitutional. Well, that vote is actually taking place right now. We'll talk with John Hines, D.C. Bureau Chief for One America News. We may also get a quick update from just outside the Senate chambers from Kansas Senator Roger Marshall, who says the impeachment trial is unconstitutional. Also, if he joins us, I'll ask Senator Marshall about legislation he has introduced addressing what Senator Rand Paul zeroed in on last week during the confirmation hearing of Miguel Cardona. From what planet are you from? I mean, to think it's okay that boys would compete with girls in a track meet, that that somehow would be fair. Senator Marshall has teamed up with uh, Senator Mike Lee of Utah to protect women's sports. We'll talk about that. And do you want to guess how much you're paying for Speaker Nancy Pelosi's political theater here in D.C.? While private businesses are taking down the boards that protected their businesses from Antifa and Black Lives Matter protests when the government wouldn't protect them, Speaker Pelosi is putting on a costly act as a cover. I believe, for the left's massive power grab. We'll give you the price tag from Congressman James Comer of Kentucky, the ranking member on the Government Oversight Committee in the House. Also, another of President Biden's cabinet picks, uh, Neera Tondon, the former head of the Liberal Center for American Progress, ran into some opposition in her confirmation hearing today because of her anti-religious statements. FRC Director of Federal Affairs, Mary Beth Waddell, is here on that story. And I don't watch this guy, never have, and I suspect that most of you don't either, but what Bill Maher and the left is saying must be confronted. The events of January 6th were a faith-based initiative, and Trumpism is a Christian nationalist movement. FRC's David Clawson will, will join me for that conversation later here on Washington Watch. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Uh, and let me remind you, tomorrow night, the first Pray Vote Stand Town Hall meeting, The Way Forward, 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time. We'll be coming to you live from Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. I'll be joined by Pastor Gary Hamrick, ADF President and CEO Mike Ferris, and your questions. You'll be able to interact with us live on the website, prayvotestand.org. It'll be all interactive, and you can be a part of it. Go to prayvotestand.org or text the word STAND to 67742. That's the word STAND to 67742, and we will keep you posted as the event nears. All right, uh, as we speak, the, uh, the Senate is moving to vote after about four hours of debate as to whether or not it is constitutional to impeach a former president. Really no guess as to how this vote may go along party lines. But here to talk about it, John Hines, D.C. Bureau Chief for One America News. John, welcome back to the program. Well, it's good to talk to you, Tony. Uh, it's a beautiful evening here in Washington, and there's a lot of news. 
there is a lot of news, and uh, depending on which way you look, it is beautiful. It's a beautiful skyline, uh, but disturbing to what we see unfolding politically. Um, any surprises in the arguments put forth by the uh, the House managers today? Well, I think that uh, from what I gather, talking to lawmakers here, here on Capitol Hill, the Democrats uh, need to do two things. Number one, uh, just tactically, they're attempting to drive a wedge within the Republican Party to separate the Republican Party and take advantage of that dissension in the ranks, as it were. And uh, hopefully they're trying to use this as a means to achieve that, this impeachment process. Uh, secondarily, of course, uh, also, they're they're attempting to tie the Republican Party and President Trump to those awful events of the Capitol um, on January 6th, which I think are abhorrent to just about anybody who saw them. And so what I was surprised about today is the extent to which uh, the Democratic uh, impeachment managers seem to rely on attempting to be uh, appealed to an emotional an emotional sensibility of uh, the senators in the chamber. They started out with that um, that montage of video of the invasion of the Capitol, uh, which I think elicits a very emotional reaction from just about anybody who watches it. And then mm-hmm. you had the, the speakers uh, appealing to the emotion of the senators, for instance, the impeachment manager, uh, Mr. Raskin, or Professor Raskin, actually teaches uh, law at one of the law schools uh, around here, uh, was appealing in an emotional way, telling uh, stories about his his, uh, personal experiences on that day, which appear to have been uh, very traumatic, and trying to elicit what I thought would be an emotional response from some of the senators, which really is off point if you consider that the question really was, is it constitutional to be trying a former president in the chamber of the U.S. Senate? And so I felt like they missed an opportunity, an opportunity to really uh, hammer away at this constitutional question. And I felt like perhaps they distracted, distracted away from that goal by appealing to the emotions of the jury rather than perhaps the facts at hand. But, but John, isn't that really what the Democratic Party does when it comes to almost everything, policy, um, their argumentation? It is all based on emotionalism. There, there is no fact. Fact usually does not present itself. It's, it's appealing to strictly emotion. Well, I guess you raise a good point, and I think that that's an observation that I've also made. Uh, it seems like oftentimes their arguments are are emotional and they do elicit an emotional response. I think that's one of the reasons why maybe this uh, COVID uh, aid package will get through uh, the Senate is because uh, they're appealing to uh, its passage on an emotional basis from a lot of people. But I'm not but sure I would hold. going to really... Yes. Yeah, I would hope that there's one place in America where people actually think using their head would be the United States Senate and not be driven by pure emotion. Ideally, ideally that's correct. But you have to remember that this is the U.S. Senate. It is, it is fundamentally a political body in its composition and its function. It's not a courtroom, and it's not governed by rules of judicial procedure. 
so I think that uh, the Democratic managers uh, realize that, and they're attempting to take uh, take advantage of that distinction. I think perhaps here uh, in this uh, this first day of arguments, we'll see how that unfolds tomorrow. Uh, I don't know how that will work tomorrow. I think that they need to stick more to the substance of the issues at hand rather than perhaps appealing to the emotions. Uh, and I imagine we'll see uh, how effective they are here uh, at, at the end of that vote uh, as to whether or not they achieve their goals. Who knows? So, John Hines, does anyone really think they will meet the threshold for impeachment or conviction? What I think is interesting about that, and this was actually explained to me by um, by a, a U.S. senator I was talking to uh, about this, and uh, he made the point that, yes, it's difficult to get to that uh, two-thirds threshold, but uh, there are there is, of course, first, as a practical matter, there's that question of witnesses that will come up uh, sometime, I guess, Monday maybe, depending on how things go. That is only a, uh, a nominal majority vote. And so depending upon whether or not the Democrats want to proceed, they can uh, vote to call more witnesses. Uh, and that, depending on how they want to go, could be a, a win for them. But in terms of the final acquittal, I don't think anybody really thinks that they will get two-thirds two-thirds of uh, the Senate to vote to uh, to uh, to say that the, the president is guilty and that uh, that he should suffer the consequences, which is to say that uh, he'd be unable to run for any kind of political office or hold a political office. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen. But what could happen is that, once again, this is a political theater and not a right. judicial courtroom. Right. And what could happen is, depending on how things go, is they could capture the attention of an awful lot of Americans who, by the way, are still at home with this COVID uh, pandemic, uh, which was not the case last year during the first impeachment. And who knows how many of them will decide to tune in and watch TV while they're, you know, multitasking on the computer. Uh, and and how effective will that be at attempting to convince the hearts and minds of of the American voters, the American public who are watching this, uh, like they were not able to do last time when this occurred? Uh, and so, if they if the Democrats can achieve their ability to capture the attention and persuade the broad American public dominating that uh, Senate stage, as it were, they may have achieved their goal, even if they don't uh, get a conviction of the former president. That's really an open question, and I think that's something that will be interesting to watch going forward. Uh, this just in, the Senate did vote 56 to 44 that the impeachment is constitutional and they will resume uh, the trial tomorrow at uh, at noon. Now, you mentioned this is political theater. I agree uh, 100 percent with you. It's part uh, tragedy, part comedy, I think. Um, let me ask you this question, John Hines. The chief justice is not presiding over this as the Constitution sets out. Why? Well, I think that, that that's also a, an interesting question, and uh, I've spoken to a couple of senators, actually. As a matter of fact, uh, Mike Lee had a conversation with him 
last week, and he pointed that out as saying that uh, that is one of the indicia of uh, really being able to tell that this is not a constitutional proceeding. You know, the Supreme Court really doesn't want to necessarily get involved here, uh, and they're not probably going to say it's unconstitutional. I'm told that's not justiciable, that point, justiciable to use a a legalistic term. Um, But the fact that the Chief Justice is not participating, uh, at least according to Senator Lee, and then I'm uh, speaking to Senator Barrasso uh, today of Wyoming, uh, it suggests in very strong terms uh, that this is an unconstitutional proceeding, uh, saying that the Constitution specifically says that, uh, you know, when the president and office holder is is uh, being impeached, that the chief justice will preside. So I think that really undercuts the uh, – serves to undercut the legitimacy of uh, what the Democrats are attempting to do here is looking at the absence of the chief justice and looking at who is is uh, sitting in on on in his stead which is senator patrick Leahy, who is not known for his non-partisan demeanor (laughs) (laughs) to say the least to say the least uh john hines thanks so much for joining us and uh giving us an update on the events as they unfolded today in the u.s senate i look forward to talking to you again real soon thank you thank you very much tony all right. And folks, a, a good source of information, One American News. Tune in. I was just on uh, earlier this week with John. All right. Coming up next, uh, how much are you going to pay for the stage, the uh, props that Nancy Pelosi has put up around the Capitol? That's what it is. It's more of the political theater. Well, there's a price tag with it. We're going to talk about it with Congressman Comer of Kentucky, the ranking member on government affairs. That's next. Hey, Matt. Hey, Hannah. What's going on? Why so gloomy? Well, I'm a little disappointed. I had a lot planned to do during the stay-at-home time, and I just didn't do it. Oh, yeah? What did you have planned that you didn't get to do? Well, I was actually hoping I would finally be able to get time to do a regular Bible reading routine, and I started a couple of times. I just didn't stick with it. Don't be too down on yourself. Starting a new routine can be hard, but one way to help is to join in with others and to have a good game plan. I think I have a good solution for you. Oh, yeah? Tony Perkins and FRC are doing a two-year study in the Word. They have it all mapped out. When did they start? I I would be so far behind. Oh, that's not a problem. You can literally jump in any time. There's a daily reading just a couple of chapters a day with questions to help you think about what you're reading. Nice. Where can I find this? Go to frc.org slash Bible, and you can get started. Where's that again? frc.org slash Bible. Got it checking it out now. In our time, North Korea remains one of the world's most mysterious countries. Unfortunately, what we do know about North Korea indicates the country is also one of the world's worst abusers of human rights, including violations of religious freedom. The North Korean regime has engaged in an intense crackdown on religion for decades. Today, few religious believers remain, and those who do face grave danger. The secretive nature of the regime, nicknamed the Hermit Kingdom, makes it difficult for American leaders to address these human rights issues. Yet, even though options are limited, the gravity of the situation calls on Western countries to take every action possible to relieve the suffering of the North Korean people, a people who have no chance of speaking up for themselves. To learn more about this important issue, check out FRC's publication titled North Korea, the World's Foremost Violator of Religious Freedom. 
To access the information you need to stay informed, including a list of policy proposals, go to frc.org slash North Korea. Masculinity in America has never been under attack the way it is today. We've reached the point where the term itself is considered toxic or offensive to many. The consistent message in our nation is that masculinity by nature is bad and is the root cause of many of the problems plaguing our society. From his experience as a military combat officer and ordained minister of the gospel, Lieutenant General William Boykin has seen and dealt with firsthand the breakdown of leadership in our nation by the lack of godly men living lives of biblical purpose. In his latest book, Man to Man, Rediscovering Masculinity in a Challenging World, he addresses the essential elements of manhood as a provider, an instructor, a defender, a battle buddy, and a chaplain and explains how to personally develop these traits and pass them to the next generation. Get your copy today of Man to Man, wherever books are sold. I'm Tony Perkins, and you're listening to Washington Watch, the website, TonyPerkins.com. As I mentioned at the top of the program, while most of the establishments in Washington that were boarded up because of the uh, Antifa and BLM um, protests that led to looting and burning last um, summer, and the fact that the government here in the D.C. government didn't protect our properties. But the threat is pretty much gone. So we're taking them down. Uh, most of the boards are coming down. But the fences are going up around the Capitol. Um, razor wire atop 10-foot fences all around the Capitol complex. It's huge. And uh, reported that um, 5,000 troops are going to stay in the city through March the 15th to protect against, quote-unquote, mass demonstrations. Well, I haven't seen anybody other than Antifa was here this weekend, parading Sunday through the streets, harassing diners on the streets, threatening to burn down the city. Well, of course, government officials didn't do anything about that. I think, in fact, I wouldn't be surprised if Mayor Bowser gave them the key to the city. This is all political theater, but it's coming at a huge cost. Joining me now is the ranking member on the House Oversight Committee, Congressman James Comer, who represents the 1st Congressional District of the Bluegrass State. Congressman, welcome back to the program. It's great to be back. All right. Tell our listeners just how much they have to pay for Nancy Pelosi's political theater and all the props that she's putting around the Capitol. Well, we're already in excess of hundreds of millions of dollars, and it's 100% political, as you said, and I read your uh, column that you wrote about it. Couldn't agree more. Uh, it's very disappointing at a time when uh, Congress needs to be focused on making sure that uh, anyone who wants the vaccine can get the vaccine, making sure that uh, people who are out of work can get back to work, making sure businesses that Democrats shut down can reopen safely, make sure kids get back in school. So many pressing issues, and you see they're focused on two fronts, an impeachment of a former president and uh, the optics of building a fence around the Capitol with armed guards to protect the Capitol. Oh, and by the way, also putting in metal detectors in the House 
because the enemy is within. You know, it's just right. everything she's doing is is political, and it's it's hurting America. It's dividing America. Yeah, if you if you if you're in the razor wire business, you might get more work. Uh, other than that, you're out of luck. Um, the the um, in fact, let me just I'm so, just so people know, we're not making this stuff up. The press, the Pentagon press secretary John Kirby said that the price of sending National Guard troops to protect the area around the Capitol from January the 6th to the 15th will total $483 million, half a billion dollars for what I, I think, again, is just props in Nancy Pelosi's political theater. And she's using this as cover for a power grab. And to your point of the metal detectors, which I believe, as your colleagues do, are unconstitutional to force members of Congress to go through her metal detectors, Checkpoint Pelosi, to get into the House to vote representing their constituents is unconstitutional. But it is a massive power grab by the Democrats. It all goes into the narrative that they're trying to deliver to the far left base uh, that we we have to have more gun control, and members of Congress or even uh, people who exercise their Second Amendment rights. And it, the security around the, the, the fence around the Capitol is to show that uh, the Republicans incited a, vo- a mob. And if the 75 million people who voted for Donald Trump are are enemies and they need to be we need protection from the enemies we need more protection uh, even though we don't need a wall on the southern border uh, for border security we need a wall around the the capital and i just think that uh, any hard-working tax-paying god-fearing american who who's watching the decisions that are being made by nancy pelosi and chuck schumer they should be outraged and they should be getting active in in trying to elect people with common sense, with conservative values that will go and do the job they were elected to do and not spend all their time playing politics. Uh, true. Uh, but we're, we're two years away from an election, right. and I, I'm concerned about what they'll do in these two years. And, again, I, I want to show the contrast where, you know, we took the boards down off our building uh, almost every there, there's still some places there's a little slow to get the boards down, but the threat for the most part is over. Um, although, again, I did say Antifa was going through the streets. It, it's just a contrast where the people who have to depend upon themselves for protection because the government won't do it are saying the, the threat is diminished. And so we can go back to somewhat business as normal. But on the Capitol, they're ramping up. And, and again, there, there's no substance for it. There's been no specific threat. I believe this is all about power grabs. So what can the, those 73 million people, what can they do now to protect these fundamental rights that I think Nancy Pelosi and others are, are coming for? Well, I think that they need to demand, to demand that their representatives and senators are held accountable. I think that they need to demand that if they live in Republican districts and have Republican leaders, that they're uh, – trying to fight, even though uh, we're outnumbered. Uh, There are other options uh, with respect to uh, with you. You you can filibuster. You can do things to try to delay this debate. We're going to continue to message. Uh, But I believe that if if they hear, if they have friends, they need to really get active 
and try to communicate their outrage with the people. Because if if Pelosi and them sense that they're losing the battle among the masses, if they think that their their strategy isn't working, then they will change gears real quick. You see that yeah. happen all the time with politicians, and I think that that's one thing that people need to do is just nonstop getting on the phone and emails, calling their members of Congress and, and uh, governors and mayors and, and expressing their opinions. I, I agree. We, we can't be silent, and I know that you're not, and I appreciate what you're doing because I, I know you're constantly sending out letters, calling the majority to account on these issues, and, and so you're doing your job, and we appreciate you coming on to talk about it, and we want other people across the country not to go silent. This is not a time to be silent. It's a time to be loud, to be bold, to do it within the confines of the law, but to be heard. Congressman, thanks so much for joining us. Always a pleasure. All right, just got word. Uh, Senator Marshall just got free from the Senate floor. He joins us next when we return. Don't go away. The history of religious persecution in China is extensive, and many are not aware of the current oppression of religious groups taking place there. China restricts religious practice and oppresses religious minorities on a sweeping scale. This religious persecution targets those of every faith. Christians, Muslims, Tibetan Buddhists, and Falun Gong practitioners are all victims of the Chinese Communist Party's efforts to suppress any set beliefs that might compete with the party's ideology. This campaign against religion has had and continues to have devastating consequences for those who simply wish to live according to their conscience. Family Research Council's recently updated publication addresses China's consistent abuses of human rights and explains why they cannot be treated like any other country. Learn more about this issue by visiting frc.org slash China. Oh, man. What's wrong? I just missed Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, and our congressman was going to be on the show today. Oh, that's not a big deal. What do you mean? Well, you can always catch the replay of the day's show. How's that? With the Stand Firm app. Yeah? Yep, you can catch that day's program and so much more. You can contact your elected officials on campaigns and policies that are important to you with the Take Action tab. You can listen to Washington Watch with Tony Perkins live and play previous episodes while conveniently going about your day. You can access the Washington Update, informative blogs, tweets, and critical campaigns on the main feed so you can stay up to date on local and national news. Wow. I definitely use that. How do you find the app? Just visit frc.org slash app and download or search Stand Firm in the App Store. Okay, that's Stand Firm. Yep, Stand Firm. How do you know all this? Because I'm a SageCon, but that's another story. Huh? Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. So good to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Uh, let me again uh, remind you, tomorrow night, pray, vote, stand, town hall meeting, the way forward, 7.30 p.m. Eastern time. 
We'll be at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. I'll be joined by Pastor Gary Hamrick and ADF President and CEO Mike Ferris. And you can join us live. Go to prayvotestand.org at 7.30. And uh, we'll be, uh, it'll be interactive, so we'll be taking your questions. Okay, we're, um, we got word that Senator Marshall is going to join us, so we're waiting to connect with him. Uh, and while we're doing that, I, I didn't get a chance to... Uh, You've heard these before, but they're going to be coming up again. As the Democrats focused in on the emotional aspects of of this, playing these clips of what happened on January uh, the 6th, there, well, I tell you, here we have Senator Marshall now. Uh, so I'll hold that, and I'll go to uh, Senator Roger Marshall of Kansas. Senator, uh, th- thanks so much for joining us. Glad to be with you all. A busy day here, but always good to be on the phone with you guys. Well, I know the the Senate just voted uh, 56 to 44 to proceed, saying that the impeachment uh, is constitutional. Any surprises today? Well, we lost one more uh, person today. Uh, Bill Cassidy voted uh, with the Democrats and so that was a little bit of a surprise to me, but certainly, you know, no, no, nothing I heard today changed my mind. I still believe that uh, it's unconstitutional to impeach a person who's no longer in office. And the even bigger picture than that, though, Tony, is just uh, this is taking our eye off the ball. We should be working on vaccinations for people, working on getting the economy going again. And, and this, all this is doing is raising the temperature. So it's, it's a frustrating day for me. But, but Senator, if if there was illegal activity and, and there was really evidence to suggest that someone incited a riot, I, I think you would probably be inclined to say we, we need to address it. Uh, but I've not seen anything. I heard the president's speech. I was appalled at what I saw happen at the Capitol. But just like uh, the comments that Maxine Waters and uh, Chuck Schumer himself uh, said about the Supreme Court, uh, you know, speech does not necessarily lead to uh, the behavior that we saw on January the 6th. You're right. Certainly we we condemn the violence. Um, And if if there was anything that President Trump did to incite that, they could do that. They could prosecute that through uh, as a private citizen in a criminal court. But obviously there's nothing there to prosecute. Otherwise, we'd have attorney generals jumping in there. So I think that this is obviously political grand, uh, you know, grandeur and grandstanding is the word I'm looking for, political grandstanding and uh, trying to uh, continue to throw, throw darts at their enemy. Can just, you know, the hatred for President Trump just still exists. It's still front and center, and it's really impeding our, our, our country from recovering from this COVID virus. So, Senator, what's on tap for tomorrow? What will uh, take place tomorrow in the Senate? Yeah, so the defense, or excuse me, uh, the the House prosecutors have two days to give us their case, to go into more detail, to try to prove the things that they said today, to uh, to try to prove that it's constitutional, and and to try to prove that the President Trump's uh, words were were what incited that crowd. And they want to prove that President Trump is responsible for that riot. Um, Two days of that, and then President Trump's team gets two days to defend it, and Unless I'm surprised, we may be wrapping up on Saturday now. Hmm, very good. Well, we'll be tracking that very closely. Before I lose you, before you have to go, I want to. You introduced a bill on Friday with uh, mm-hmm. 
Senator uh, Mike Lee of Utah trying to protect women's sports. Uh, tell our listeners about it and how they can help. Well, I'm very concerned about this transgender movement going across our country, and I wish no ill will towards people of transgender, but I don't want boys, I do not want boys that are genotypically males, have a Y chromosome, to be competing against girls in sports at any level, middle school, high school, college, so we our legislation would jeopardize the Title IX funding if, those, if schools allow uh, genotypical males, people with a Y chromosome competing in, in uh, girls' sports. Uh, the whole, I, 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 we, we cannot infringe upon the girls' rights as well. And I don't know about you, Tony, but uh, my, you know, I have one daughter and coach lots of young ladies, uh, high school sports, the opportunity to get scholarships in college, all this would be jeopardized. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, 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 the girls have rights too. The transgenders have rights, but so do the girls. And our legislation would affect that funding. And I, I really think for folks to reach out to their own congressman, their own senator, and tell them to stand up for, for ladies' rights as well. Yeah, I think it's, it's just basic common sense. And I find it very interesting, Senator Marshall, that 95% of this, when you talk about transgender and sports, it's men competing in women's sports. It's not women wanting to move into men's sports because men have an advantage when they go into women's sports. Yeah. Right. We just want the, a level playing field. We want what, what's fair. And I just don't think many Americans think it's right for boys to compete against girls, even if they're transgender. But that's I, would, I would agree. Common sense. Okay. Something that seems to be escaping uh, our nation today. <laughs> Senator, thanks so much for being with us. Okay. You bet, Tony. Thanks for the chance. Have a great day. All right. You too. Congressman uh, Senator Roger Marshall from Kansas. All right, uh, when we come back, David Kloss is going to be joining me. We're going to be talking about, uh, and you may be familiar with the real-time host, Bill Maher. Now, I don't watch him, but he had some very, well, some things that need to be challenged. And we're going to do that next here on Washington Watch. Don't go away. Coming back with more right after this. Get a trusted perspective on the news of the day every day. Listen to Washington Watch with Tony Perkins to get honest and in-depth commentary on what's going on in our nation's capital and around the world. Join Family Research Council President Tony Perkins live every weekday on over 800 radio stations across the country. Or listen to the show when it works for you by visiting TonyPerkins.com. On the show, you'll hear from guests like Ben Carson, Senator Josh Hawley, Representative Vicki Hartzler, Molly Hemingway, Pastor Jack Hibbs, Dana Lash, Sissy Graham Lynch, Pastor John MacArthur, Eric Metaxas, Albert Moeller, and more. Tony is joined by leading political figures, pastors, and policy and culture experts who will inspire you to be engaged and informed on the important issues facing America. For a Christian perspective on the news of the day, tune in to Washington Watch with Tony Perkins at TonyPerkins.com. Ever since the Supreme Court handed down its infamous Roe v. Wade decision in 1973 that legalized abortion nationwide, a national debate has raged over whether the government should fund abortion. In 1976, Congress banned taxpayer funding of abortion and Medicaid by passing the Hyde Amendment. Several states have followed suit, passing their own restrictions on abortion funding. However, Because government funding is a complex system of joint federal and state programs, 
Completely banning taxpayer funding for abortions and abortion businesses like Planned Parenthood is challenging. There is still much work to be done to free the American taxpayer from funding the horrific practice of abortion. Family Research Council's new publication clearly explains the Hyde Amendment and why we need to keep it in order to save taxpayers from being forced to fund abortion. Access this important information by visiting frc.org slash Hyde. What's on your daily or weekly reading list? Are you looking for honest and informative commentary from fellow believers on the current issues facing our culture? Family Research Council has just the thing. Check out FRC's blog at frcblog.com. The content on our blog is written by our policy experts as well as outside contributors. On our blog, you can read about a wide variety of topics, including religious liberty, life, marriage, family, sexuality, public policy, and the culture. Read up on some of our latest titles like Four Disturbing Trends in Religious Freedom Worldwide, Legitimizing Looting Jeopardizes Liberty for All, The Media Still Doesn't Get It, Conservatives Tend to Vote Conservative, and more. At Family Research Council, our mission is to advance faith, family, and freedom in the culture by helping you live out your faith and to stand for truth. Our blog is here to help you do that. Stay informed and get the resources you need at frcblog.com. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Tomorrow night, 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time, Pray Vote Stand Town Hall, our first town hall, the way forward. Many people asking, what do we do now? Where do we go? How do we deal with all of this? Well, we're going to talk about it tomorrow night. As we answer your questions, we'll be live at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary Hamrick, ADF President and CEO Mike Ferris will be joining me. Uh, you can join us, too, and it'll be live and interactive. Uh, there'll be interactive tools on the website, prayvotestand.org, things that you've probably not seen before. So it's some um, pretty neat stuff. And you tune in, prayvotestand.org, and you can take poll questions, and you can send us your questions, and you can watch, and you can be a part of this national town hall. Again, that's tomorrow night at 730 Eastern Time. Okay, I don't – I mean, I know who this guy is. I don't ever watch him because I think he's just – well, he needs help. Uh, real-time host Bill Maher, he uh, made a claim that the January 6th riot at the Capitol was a faith-based initiative. And I've got some some clips here that I want, want to play of what he had to say, and I have to bleep out some of it because he's uh, foul-mouthed. But joining me in the studio to uh, to talk about this is uh, David Clawson. Um David, welcome back to the program. Thanks for having me, Tony. And, and I, 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 I'm doing this for a reason. Now, I, I normally, you know, I'm not going to pick up on everything that the left says and try to refute them because it's, it's nonsense. It's, I kind of look at this, David, as Nehemiah when Sanballat and Tobiah were kept pestering him. He said, I got too much, I got important stuff to do. I'm not going to come down off the wall to talk to you knuckleheads. And, and that's why I look at the left most of the time. But this is something that's being repeated, and there's a design here. And, and I, our listeners need to know what is unfolding and how they need to respond to it. So I'm going to play a few clips. Let's start with uh, clip number eight. ...of another impeachment trial. We might as well be honest about what it's really about. <clears throat> the events of January 6th were a faith-based initiative. 
And Trumpism is a Christian nationalist movement that believes Trump was literally sent from heaven to save them. David Colson, we're hearing this term now. It's a relatively new term uh, in the American lexicon, the Christian nationalism. Uh, you know, it's been in the, you know, the pages of uh, Salon and some of these other left-wing rags for a while, but now it's being mainstreamed. What does it mean? It's a good question. I think it's important for us to define our terms. Let's start with just nationalism. Nationalism kind of just means one's affinity or advocacy for their own nation, uh, for the, the culture and heritage of their own country. That used to be a positive thing. It was always, it almost always was a positive thing, kind of equated with patriotism, really. Right. Uh, you, you loved and supported your country. However, now this term has emerged, Christian nationalism, and it's really it's a slippery term. It's hard to define. Uh, some kind of use it to just paint all Christians in a negative sense. Uh, all people who support the Republican Party or all people who support President Trump kind of in a, in a negative light. But if you, if you kind of drill down a little bit, kind of Christian nationalism, as explained in the literature, is this idea that uh, Christianity and kind of an American identity are, are one and the same. Um, where kind of you could say the American identity is given almost a transcendent meaning. And if that's how they're defining it, I, I, would, I would agree uh, that, you know, we, we need to keep things in perspective as, as Christians. But what we, we're seeing kind of in the literature, people on the left, of course, but some on the right, too, using Christian nationalism to paint anyone they disagree with uh, as some kind of nefarious religious zealot who really wants to undermine uh, American democracy. Uh, but doesn't it also have some bleed over in connotations from white nationalism? And I think that's intentional. I think it is. So, you know, you hear the phrase often used, uh, white supremacy, Christian nationalism, kind of just they're, they're ticked off in a list. And again, I think that the intent behind that is to lump all of us into one big basket of deplorables, uh, to use Hillary Clinton's phrase. And again, I do think that's intentional. I think that's exactly what Bill Maher is getting at. Um, and no surprise he's not your favorite talk show host, Tony. Yeah, actually, I've never watched him. <laughs> um, but he goes on. There's like a five-minute clip. This is just a part of his program. And he you know, basically derides uh, Christians for not accepting the outcome of the election, which I thought was kind of comical because the left didn't accept the outcome of the 2016 election. You know, they, they, they questioned the legitimacy of Donald Trump. They tried to impeach him. They blocked him with the Russian hoax, all of this stuff. Um, but th their history starts today. They don't, they, you know, they don't measure anything by what happened uh, four years ago or yesterday, for that matter. I, okay, I'll just go, go on a couple, another clip here. Uh, let's play clip number nine. There's a lot of talk now in liberal quarters about how Republicans should tell their base who still believe the election was rigged that they need to grow up and move on and stop asking the rest of us to respect their mass delusion. And of course it is a mass delusion. But the inconvenient truth here is that if you accord religious faith the kind of exalted respect we do here in America, you've already lost the argument that mass delusion is bad. It's fun to laugh at QAnon with the baby-eating lizard people and the pedophile pizza parlors, but have you ever read the book of Revelations? Yeah, that's... That's, uh... That's the Bible. That's your holy book, Christians. And they've got seven-headed dragons and locusts that have the face of men and the teeth of lions and other stuff you only see after the guy in the park sells you bad mushrooms. Well... 
I'm not, not even sure where to begin with that, but, you know, first off, he needs to read it's Revelation. Um, but he, he, he basically, religion is a delusion. That, that, that sounds like someone else I heard from the past, maybe a communist leader who talked about how religion was opiate, uh, opium for the masses. Yeah. Um, th- that's the way the left looks at religion. And I hope, you know, like you said, Tony, we don't normally, you and I don't watch Bill Maher, but this is giving us a glimpse. It's giving our listeners a glimpse that this is how the left views people of faith. You know, our, our colleague George Barna uh, says uh, his most recent study shows that only 6% of Americans have what you could call a biblical worldview, which means that they're looking at the world, they're looking at reality, they're looking at the things uh, through the lens of Scripture. And if that is true, which I believe it is, that means the vast majority of Americans, including those who go to church with us, are not thinking through things through the lens of Scripture. And, and so, you know, Bill Maher, I don't want to go to Bill Maher for my eschatology, uh, but, you know, as he's talking about uh, Revelation and the end times, it, it's clear he has no idea what he's talking about, and he's just using the faith as a punching bag. Right. And we need to be clear. That's what he's doing. Yeah. I'm going to play one more clip, and then I'm going to tell you what this is all about and, and how we as believers need to respond to this. Play clip number 10 for us, Bobby. Please. Magical religious thinking is a virus, and QAnon is just its current mutation. That's why megachurches play QAnon videos. It's the same basic plot. Q is a prophet. Trump is the Messiah. There's an apocalyptic event looming, the storm. There's a titanic struggle of good versus evil. And if you want good to win, just keep those checks coming in. We need to stop pretending there's no way we'll ever understand why the Trump mob believes in him. It's because they're religious. They've already made space in their heads for that doesn't make sense. When you're a QAnon fanatic, you're also a fundamentalist Christian. They just go together like macaroni and cheese or Chardonnay and Valium. So, um, again, we, we, we play these clips, because, not because it's Bill Moore that what he says really matters. It's that this is reflective of many of the liberal elite, and they feel empowered now to attack religious faith. Um, literally, I mean, th- there was a time in our history when people did show some reverence uh, you know, at least for the scripture. I mean, he actually shows none whatsoever. Dangerous place, I think, for him to be. But David, bottom line, what this is about is trying to marginalize for the purpose of silencing believers. It is, and I think that's kind of the movement behind those who are even using this phrase Christian nationalism, lumped in with white supremacy, like you said. And I think the, the idea, what, what the, the, they're trying to do is paint any Christian political engagement as somehow nefarious or somehow as subversive. And I, I think the, the result of that, if that continues to get into the mainstream, is there'll be a silencing right. of Christian voices. And, Tony, you and I, we've talked about this a lot, especially in the lead-up to the last election. As Christians, we don't have that option. Uh, as Christians, we have Romans 13. We have First Timothy 2. We know we're called to be actively engaged. And so that's why we need to call this out for what it is and call Christians to a biblical, not right. an idolatrous or ungodly right. Uh, you know, love of country, but a, a biblical, patriotic view of country and their role as uh, followers of Jesus in this nation. 
This is designed to do one of two things. One, to drive Christians from political and cultural engagement uh, because they don't want to be tainted with one of these uh, labels that's being thrown out. Or it will cause some to shrink back from their faith, hiding the fact that they are Christians. So what should we do? Well, folks, here's what we should do. In fact, going to David's point of having a biblical response to this, I I don't know how many of you are a part of our two-year journey through the Bible, Stand on the Word, but amazing how timely it is. Today we were in Jeremiah chapter 20, and uh, I would encourage you to read that, where the prophet gives a message uh, which uh, Pashur, the the temple um, uh, governor, the chief governor of the temple, didn't like it, so he beats uh, Jeremiah puts him in the stocks. Jeremiah spends the night in the stocks, and next morning he releases him. And what does Jeremiah do? He releases a word from the Lord, basically pronouncing the judgment that's coming on Pashur. Uh, was Jeremiah silent because of the marginalization that took place? Absolutely not. He spoke the word of the Lord. This is this is what happens. When believers shrink back from their obligation, their duty, their responsibility to live for the Lord in all that they do, proclaiming his truth, people don't hear it. People will stay in darkness, and they will not be set free because it is the truth that sets them free. At a time like this, the last thing we need to do is to be intimidated. I know it's, look, read Again, read Jeremiah 20. Jeremiah actually goes through and laments his feelings of isolation and, and how he is uh, marginalized and how everyone mocks him. And, and it is a painful course. But the Lord says, I'm with you. Uh, and he ends up praising the Lord. And Jesus said the same thing over in John chapter 16. He said, look, they hated me. They're going to hate you. Um This is just it. This is what it means to stand for the truth. And unfortunately, we live in a culture that's becoming increasingly hostile toward the truth and toward the Word of God. It just means that, you know, we're going to have to face some opposition. No, you're right, Tony. And that's why we need to know God's Word. Nothing replaces. You know, pastors have asked me over the last several months, what can I do? How how do I respond to these? And I just say, preach God's Word. Make sure your people know the Bible. Because if you're reading the Bible... Uh, you'll read John 15 and 16, how Jesus said, if they persecute you, it's okay. Yeah. They persecuted me. Jeremiah was known as the wailing prophet uh, because he was uh, so he, he was emotional about the word that he was receiving the Lord. He was constantly rejected. But that's what we need to do, Tony. That's what pastors need to be doing. That's what Christian leaders need to be doing is fortifying the faith of believers. You end your show every day uh, with the words of Ephesians 6, when we've done all that we can do, keep standing. Let's keep doing that by standing on God's word. Yeah. It's the only thing that will get us through this. But here's the thing. We can't hide it. And will there be a price to pay? Maybe. But there are believers around the world being persecuted and and literally losing their lives. We still have freedom. We need to use that freedom to preserve our freedom and to secure it for others. Bottom line, our hope is not in government. I love this country. I've served it in just about every way that I can. I've been in the Marine Corps. I've been a police officer. I've served in public office. Yes, I love this country, uh, but my allegiance is to the kingdom of God. I'm going to do the very best I can to influence the world around me, whether I'm in America, whether I'm in Australia or New Zealand, wherever I'm at. That's my call to to pray for the city that I dwell in, 
uh, and to work for its good. But ultimately, my trust is in the Lord. And, and I'm going to go back to Jeremiah 20 in verse 11. Uh, where Jeremiah, you know, he, he says, you know, I've, I've, I've been rejected, I've been mocked. He said, this is a painful path. But here he says in verse 11, but the Lord is with me as a mighty, awesome one. Therefore, my persecutors will stumble and will not prevail. They will be greatly ashamed, for they will not prosper. Their everlasting confusion will never be forgotten. And David, if there's one thing we can count on, it is the word of God. It will not return unto him void. We need to know it. We need to dwell upon it, and we need to live it. Amen. How encouraging and how fortifying. And as we're called, as Augustine said, to be citizens of the city of God, but also the city of man, let's be faithful and honor the Lord in our engagement. I think that's what we're called to do as Christians. Uh, absolutely. David Clawson, thanks so much for uh, for joining us. Thank you, Tony. And folks, uh, I, I want to encourage you. You know, there's a lot to be discouraged about. We can get discouraged, but if we're spending time with God, spending time in his word, and we put this all in perspective, you know what? It it just makes sense. And we have to have the boldness and the courage to live out our faith, not to win a, a, a debate, not to win an election. While all those things are important and they have their place, you living faithful to the word of God will be a beacon of light to those who are in the darkness that they might come out. Do your part. All right, out of time. Thanks so much for joining us. Until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, prepared, and taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at one 866 372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.